What's up, fight fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest and the greatest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV, and I'm joined by the always amazing Natalie Zamudio. Hey, guys. What's going on? What's up? Natalie, I've heard you had a busy day today. What have you been up to? So, yeah, had a fun day, nice and exciting. I went over to the uh, press conference for Danny Garcia versus Adrian Granados boxing match. Um, first time for me to go to one of these boxing events, so it was very cool. Got to uh, see the fighters, see all the other, uh, you know, boxing journalists that I've been following for a while, which was very, very thrilling. And also, you know, it was at the Palm restaurant in downtown, which is a pretty sweet spot, so not a bad uh, couple of hours for me. Sweet. Well, you sound like you've had a lot of fun, guys. You could probably hear it. I am not 100%, but I do believe the show must go on. So, I <laughs> excuse me, of course, right on cue. Um, of course, <laughs> I am here. I am on the air. We have a great show for you guys today. And this week's episode, I almost called it Three Piece and a Soda, but I feel like we may forget that down the road when you search for it. So, this week's episode... Masvidal stuns the UK at UFC London, and of course we get right into it, the big fight everyone is talking about, Darren Till versus Jorge Masvidal at the O2 in London, Uh, Natalie, straightforward, Darren Till had an amazing start to this fight, he knocks down Jorge, he gets a lot of good positions in that first round, but Masvidal just fires back, he uh, I guess the thing that impressed me, he didn't take too much damage, even on the knockdown. He got right back up. He recovered well. He just didn't find himself in a precarious spot, taking heavy hits, at risk of getting submitted, anything like that. He really did a good job de- defending, scrambling, covering up, and getting back to work. And I think that's what set him up. I think he felt like he took a lot of Darren Till's best shots that when we got to the second round, he really, you know, felt composed, he felt confident, he was switching stances, he was finding his spot, and he landed that shot to knock down Till, and let's be honest, the last one was academic, he didn't need it, Till was out cold with that shot in the second round, very impressive, easily one of the best of his career. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, you talk about the last shot being academic, the third or uh, the second one was the same, he hit him halfway uh to the canvas and Till was out with the first shot. But exciting as heck, yeah, first round. It looked like it was going Till's way. I mean, it pretty much was. Uh, I picked Till to win because it just made sense on paper, uh, but I was so happy to be wrong. Mazadal was my heart pick. That's who I wanted to win deep down inside. I was literally, like, shouting on my feet when he dropped Till. These upset, knockout victories, that's, that's what people love about MMA, you know? So I think MMA needed... Jorge Masvidal shine right now. We needed someone with his swagger, his honesty, his like street fighter integrity. Um, I think it was a good, great win for him, for the fans. Uh, what more can you say? You know, the thing that I heard, and um, I talked with some other reporters, and they were like, it was a travesty to book Masvidal in London against Till rather than wait and put him on the Miami card because he's such a big guy over there in Florida. I'll be honest, I don't think that this victory would have meant as much had it not been in London. 
So if you ask me, I think it was just a great move overall. Um, it sucks for Till. He's a young guy. This is a devastating loss. Um, I think, you know, it, it, did, it did show. He left his chin out there a little bit, and that's all growing pains that only come with experience. I do believe he's going to come back, get back to work, and improve. But, you know, this one was huge for Masvidal. This was a guy who had lost two fights in a row. You're wondering if time was catching up to him. You're wondering if he was going to be that guy. And he kind of re-injects himself into the top five, if you ask me, with this one. And that's what made the post-fight so interesting. So he's backstage. He's talking to Laura Sanko. Leon Edwards... Apparently, according to Edwards, Edwards just says to Masvidal, let's do this in July. Masvidal comes over, gives him the now infamous three-piece and a soda, which I ordered for lunch today, mind you. But <laughs> he goes out there, you know, and we see Masvidal, he gets his hands on him a little bit. Uh, Edwards gets a little cut. He had to get two stitches, according to Helwani's, uh, his show on his interview with Ariel Helwani. And uh, I, I'm going to say this very bluntly, Natalie. I was, all week I was saying, okay, you know, the winner versus Ben Askren. This is a big fight. This is the fight I want to see. I kind of forgot. I, I don't even care about Ben Askren right now. I feel like the fight to make is Masvidal Edwards. Edwards on a seven-fight win streak right now. Um, Masvidal looked impressive. They got the backstory. Uh, no offense, but Ben Askren could fight anybody and it'll be entertaining. I feel like the heat is for Leon and Jorge. What, but what are your thoughts about what could be next? Yeah, I mean, Ben Askren and his cute little T-shirt, like, no one cares at this point. <laughs> this point. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Mazadal, look, I want to see, I think he deserves a title shot, not just for his performance, but for just the, his personality and what he will bring to the, to the lead-up to a title shot fight. Sure. But because of the Edwards altercation, Mazadal basically sealed his fate opponent-wise. You know, there's there's no way they're going to give him anybody else but Leon Edwards. Uh, what I would love to see is if they do, you know, Usman Colby for the belt, it would be nice to have Masvidal Edwards, uh, you know, maybe on the co-main. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. That would be an interesting uh, uh, press conference for sure. But going back to the, you know, the altercation, I was watching it live on the, you know, the post-fight show. I was watching it live. So I saw this happen uh, right before my eyes, and, like, my first reaction was fear. I thought, oh, Lord, Masvidal just sank his own ship. You know, but as the story played out, it was clear that he wasn't going to get into any real trouble, right? No no, yep. no legal trouble as far as the you know, London police go. No I don't know if the UFC plans. No nothing. Right, UFC, I mean, are they going to find him? They haven't said anything yet. Um, so, and then he does that interview with Brett Okamoto, and I think we're just all loving how, how, like, real he is. And it sounds cheesy to say real, like it's a selling point. But when you're looking at someone like Colby Covington, who's kind of maybe a little hackneyed with, with the act and, and the, uh, the saying, it's kind of refreshing to see someone call BS and, and, you know, call BS on anyone who calls him out and call BS on people that are showboating. So in general, I'm excited just to have Mazudal at the top of the welterweight picture, the story. And then, of course, he probably will get Edwards, and that's going to be exciting. But if he gets anybody else, uh, Usman or, Col or Colby, that's a heck of a fight, too. So we'll see. 
Yeah, uh, the one thing about Masvidal without um, getting the title shot is I just feel like Colby's ahead of him uh, marketing-wise and all that. I feel like, let's say they were to book um, Kamaru versus Jorge, what would happen is Colby would do the same thing like he did uh, just two, two, three weeks ago and steal the show, and you'll probably have people saying, well, heck, if we were going to have this kind of fight, I would have rather we at least have gotten to see this guy get beat up or something like that. So I think that's the one thing keeping Jorge from getting real heat. I know that Brett and them said that Kamaru's manager said Kamaru wanted the Jorge fight. Um, could it happen? Probably, you know, there, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just think that there's too much on the Colby Covington story to, you know, not have that be the next fight already. I think that we've been waiting long enough, and I think fans just want to see that, you know, that get a resolution. But, um, yeah, I think that Edwards' fight makes sense. I think that, um, you know, he's already fought Wonder Boy. Uh, I don't see him fighting Tyron Woodley. I think that Woodley is going to go for, like, uh, LSU uh, Zaleski Dos Santos or Ponzinibbio, both who I think are riding uh, seven or eight fight win streaks. Um, So I feel like Tyron's going to get one of those guys. So, you know, Edwards versus Jorge just makes a lot of sense overall. And if you ask me, I saw the rankings came out. I think they did uh, Edwards a little dirty. I think that you get a win like that over Gunnar Nelson, you should be moving up a little bit. You shouldn't just stay in the same spot. But I think that that's just a product of, you know, the reinjection of Jorge to the top five. So I think that says a lot about where the division is at right now, that you've got a guy who's on a run like Leon Edwards, and he's not even cracking into the top five. I think they still have him at number six. So I think that that's just a sign that how competitive welterweight is and how much we really want to see these guys get back in the cage. So a lot of good stuff, a lot of fun stuff. Um, people talked about Volkan Uzdemir and Dominic Reyes, other fights like that. Um, it was a good night for the U.K. overall, a lot of local guys. So it was just a great showcase. They obviously had the Michael Bisping announcement for the Hall of Fame. I think that's awesome. Fans will know that he's one of my favorites all time, so I was happy to see that. But overall, I think that for a card that catered to the U.K. with the time and everything else, it was just a very well-done event. And, um, look, I know it didn't end well for Till and their guy, but at the end of the day, if you're talking about just the MMA card, not just, you know, the location, it was a success, in my opinion, in terms of the action and what you got out of it. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the, the thing I, that's still just on my mind is the main event. Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other fights, they were strong fights, but sometimes I was a little underwhelmed. But, you know, you, you can't win them all. So, yeah, generally strong strong showing, um, and it was simultaneously, like, weird to have to be watching it at, like, 1 p.m., but also kind of cool that it was done in time for Spence Garcia, so we could do both yeah. of them in the same day. <laughs> so. And I think that's a sign. Thanks. ESPN Plus is, you know, there's no cards on Fight Pass anymore, so this would be one of those that would happen early morning, Fox Sports 1 or on Fight Pass anyway, if you ask me. So I think that's, that's true. just yeah. Yeah, that's a sign of the times, which we're obviously right about to get into. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I am surviving. Um, <laughs> the top story of the day, obviously breaking yesterday, ESPN Plus will be the new exclusive distributor of pay-per-views for the UFC in the United States. 
So they said that instead of going through your cable provider, like pretty much everybody does right now, instead you will now, if you want to watch a pay-per-view starting with, let's say, starting with um, the, uh, God, why am I forgetting it? Poirier. Uh, Adesanya Gastelum, Poirier Holloway. Sorry about that. Yeah, starting with this one coming up in April, you now will go through the app rather than cable. And um, essentially they're offering a special kind of bundle. So if you aren't subscribed, you can get a one-year subscription plus one pay-per-view for $80. Usually you'd be paying 120 for all that. And then if you're already a subscriber, you, buy, you could buy a pay-per-view on the app for $60 each. So fans are pocketing a little bit of money overall. Obviously, you're not taking 50 bucks off a $70 pay-per-view, but, you know, any little bit helps when you're a fight fan, I think. So that is the plus. The minus is that it obviously makes it a lot harder. So, for example, there's only uh, several devices that support uh, ESPN Plus directly to your TV. So, for example, if you have an Apple TV, if you have a PS4, if you have a Roku, those will work. If you do not have one of these specified devices and others, if you check their website, you do have to sacrifice a device like a laptop or something and connect it to your TV to watch the event. So that's really where I want to start when I talk to you about this. So, Natalie, first off, how do you watch your ESPN Plus fights, just out of curiosity? Yeah, uh, so I have uh, a Chromecast attached to my smart TV because okay. the smart TV that we own here doesn't have a ES- an ESPN app. So have the Chromecast, and then through my phone or my laptop, either one, whichever's closest, I'll just cast it straight to the uh, to the TV. Um, so it's pretty easy in that regard. The, um, okay. See, I personally, yeah. I have to do, you know, probably the what sounds like the grandpa way, even though I'm using all smart devices. <laughs> I actually have to connect my laptop through an HDMI to my big screen so I can watch the fights, which, you yeah. know, is only like a minute to do, but it's still, you know, less convenient than just staying on the couch the whole time and just, you know, pressing the buttons on the remote. Now, yeah. you know, that might be just the uh, first world laziness in me, but <laughs> convenience is a big deal for a consumer. Let's say it like it is. So, you know, on that note, I personally, when I heard this, I think that fans, the consumer in particular, just you're going to have to take a step back because in my mind I'm like, well, why do you have to have ESPN Plus to buy a pay-per-view? There are a lot of fans who are, you know, they're not interested in watching all the fights. They may just want to buy a Conor McGregor, uh, John Jones pay-per-view, and that's the extent of their MMA for the year. There are a ton of fans like that, which is cool. I, you know... So now, you know, I don't want to say shoving the app down your throat, but taking a step back, you're getting a great bundle. Like an HD pay-per-view would usually be $70. Now you're talking about just for $10 more, you get ESPN Plus with not just UFC, but everything they got on that thing. That's a really good deal, if we're being honest. Like if you only bought one pay-per-view a year, you're technically paying less than I probably am, well, no, definitely than I am, to have both the subscription and purchase events. So I think that for me, that's a great way to, like, almost Trojan horse, hey, we're going to give you the subscription anyway, 
might as well use it. Look what other cool stuff is going to be here. So big picture when I step back, I think that this is a very power move to try to just push UFC even more because a lot of people are agreeing ESPN is all in on MMA, and this has been crazy to see and crazy to see the exposure and the media attention. So that's how I evaluated the move. But what about you? Yeah, uh, when I read the headline, I was excited at first because I thought it meant that the UFC had adopted the WWE subscription model, which yep. includes access to all of their pay-per-views as part of the nine ninety nine monthly subscription. So obviously that's not the story. So when I realized that, I was like, okay, uh, you know, now we know why Dana White's now we know what his triple emoji smile was all about that I that I brought up last week, right? Yep. So I understand why he's super excited about it. He's you know, big they extended their deal, added two more years. He he extended his deal with WME IMG or IG, whatever it is, R Emanuel. Yep. Um but generally like I'm weirdly kind of bummed. It feels like a downgrade, even though we are, as you said, paying ten dollars less for current subscribers. I can't be mad at that, but now I won't be able to record the pay-per-views on my DVR like I used to. Um, and right now, the ESPN Plus interface, it's okay. But when I think about very really, like minor things, you talk about first-world problems. Uh, Fight Pass, you can go, you can you know click a button and go back 10 seconds. The Zone, you can go back 30 seconds. Tell me if I'm just so old that I didn't see it, but I haven't yet found that on ESPN Plus. Nope. Um, Same like problem. rewinding. Yeah, rewinding is kind of weird, especially to the phone. Like sometimes the screen resets and you can no longer, you know, rewind from the phone to the to the TV. So there's a couple of glitches. I'm sure they'll figure it out. Um, I'm sure I'll get used to it. I'm saving money. Um, but uh, we're, I feel like we're on a lot of similar pages here because I feel like it, it did make me think about being like old. I was like, I entered the old man stage of my life where any kind of change just scares me and angers me for no good reason. And so that's kind of how I feel about this. Um, like, I'm already subscribing to ESPN Plus. It's a fine, it's a fine service. You know, there's these glitches I talked about, but it just feels weird to not be able to just go through my cable provider to get my pay-per-views. Um, I also did wonder, like, in December of 2018, didn't the UFC just like announce that they struck a deal with the MVPDs to like um, increase the UFC split on pay-per-views? I guess that just that just goes out the window. I mean, <laughs> I mean that I one. That's, uh, I'm assuming that look the fine print that people find boring, so they don't announce it on Sports Center. But I'm sure that they've addressed that internally for sure. Yeah. So um, I mean, uh, yeah, same page uh, for myself. I'm kind of with you. If I buy a pay-per-view on the app, I mean, for my job, and if I'm just a fan who wants to watch the crazy knockout over again. I kind of, you know, I may be working Sunday morning and I may be working Monday, you know, afternoon that, you know, I don't want my pay-per-view to go away in 24 hours the way it does, you know, when you do it on, when you've done it on Fight Pass before, for example. So I hope they address that. I think that that's going to piss off some fans and I hope they don't just say, well, hey, it'll be out on Fight Pass in a month. And I'm like, excuse me, that's another subscription. So there are a little bit of, you know, things you got to work through. Um, and once again, I think that uh, saving money is huge. I think that convenience and um, people saying, you know, the future is streaming, the future is streaming. I don't like watching my sports on my phone. It's meant to be enjoyed with my lunch or with my dinner 
on the screen with me, you know, ignoring my problems, if you ask me. So, like I said, yeah, the inconvenience to me is the real part of it. And um, I'm trying to do a poll. I'm trying to do a survey. You know, how do fans, like, now that they've moved, do you uh, go through the trouble of hooking up your ESPN Plus to a TV, or do you just settle for your phone or the laptop? That's a big question because it's one thing for a fight pass. You're not interested in every fight or, uh, you know, ESPN Plus. This is going to be big pay-per-views. Are fans still going to do that? Are they still going to be okay with it? All of that remains to be seen, and I think that's going to be the real question, and I think that we're going to hear from the fans as this really takes effect pretty soon. Uh, Before I move on, I do also want to say it is a great power move because when you consider ESPN Plus, um, by all accounts, their only competitor right now is DAZN. DAZN has Bellator. DAZN has a ton of other sports, not necessarily the big major sports, you know, in America, but I know that they got, uh, you know, soccer and other stuff on uh, DAZN, if I'm not mistaken. So, and they have cricket. You know, yeah, exactly. You got, you know, DAZN, um, someone explained to me once very well, it's like, you know, do they have NFL football? No, absolutely not. But remember, DAZN is potentially bigger outside of the United States than, you know, ESPN Plus is, and that's something you have to take into account. So if they're going for the United States subscribers, I think this is them trying to counterpunch recently signing Triple G to DAZN also, because now you've got, you know, Bellator, you've got Canelo, you've got Anthony Joshua, now you've got Triple G for your subscription. That's a big deal. And ESPN, you know, uh, respectfully, um, Crawford and Lomachenko aren't at the same level. So when you have this going on, it makes it very interesting because now you really see the streaming competition is really heating up. And I wanted your thoughts on that before we move on. Yeah, I'm very curious. Um, yeah, streaming is the future. That's what everyone talks about, right? And it, it is essentially like I, I was surprised how easily I transitioned from watching everything on TV to just within this like last 2018 to, to now period with the zone and ESPN Plus just, like, you know, casting everything to my TV. It was just like, oh, you know what? This isn't so hard. It's okay. The problem is when there's a glitch, right, sometimes the cast doesn't work, and then I have to go old school like you and pull out the cable and plug it into the HDMI. Okay, yep. first world problem. Um, but, you know, uh, in general, I mean, it's, it, is, it, is, it is where we are. Like, I understand I – understand why they're doing it, but I, I am curious, like, I wish I could know who made the first call. Do you think ESPN called Dana White or Dana White called ESPN and said, like, hey, DAZN is, is going to, you know, beat our butts here with these two Canelo Triple G signings? Like, I, I was just curious who, who felt the urgency more and whose idea it was to, to pull pay-per-views from cable and satellite. Um, uh, go ahead. We don't have a choice, right? I mean, they did it, and this is, we just have to get used to it. That's Dana White's way, right? Just deal with it. So um, I'm curious to see how, how, yeah, how fans react when, it actually, when we actually have a pay-per-view. Right now we're just talking. But when you actually have yeah. to go through the steps, let's see how they react. Also, you know, you heard about, if you remember things like the uh, Pacquiao, uh, none, not Pacquiao Mayweather, maybe uh, Mayweather-McGregor, things like that the system crashing with so many people buying pay-per-view, you know, not saying that 
every UFC event is going to pull those numbers, but could there be some crashing issues? Could there be some buffering issues if the system gets overwhelmed, if they have like Connor Habib too, some crazy like that? That's going to be very interesting. Um, I would say it was an ESPN call first because essentially, like, not to say that there isn't room for two, but they want to dominate the market. They want to make fighters feel like, oh, well, I got to take, you know, they want, uh, you know, businesses, even though they're technically legal, they want a monopoly. They want as close to it as possible because that means they get to dictate the price and make the biggest profit because, you know, they run the table. So I can imagine it was ESPN's call to be like, hey, we think we need to do this because look at our competition. You know, we want to get an even firmer hold on the market. I think all of that, you know, it says a lot. And so, look, like you said, this is the move. And um, like I said, I don't think it's a bad thing. As long as they make it user-friendly, I'm okay with it. You know, I, you, people weren't ready for your car to run on gas and electric, but I personally love it. So I'm ready for this change, too. You know what I mean? So you make it easy enough, people will be on board. I think that's the thing that I'm going to leave it at that, is if, um, if they make it more user-friendly, uh, I'm ready for it. And like you said, I, I do believe that as it grows, more TVs are going to start carrying the ESPN app and things like that, that maybe it'll become a bit of a thing of the past to cast it or cable or however you, you know, link up your device for your subscription. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on, yeah. the next story that we'll talk about, a little old, but if we're being honest, not a lot of stuff is happening unless you wanted to watch Conor McGregor drink beer, uh, drink, sorry, drink whiskey and stand on that bar. But UFC, <laughs> and, or not UFC, but Megan Anderson lets it slip that the UFC has signed new women to their featherweight division. The biggest name she mentioned was Felicia Spencer, who last year won the vacant Invicta featherweight title. And this move comes after a lot of speculation. People wondered if they're even going to keep it around or if Amanda Nunes possibly uh, closed, you know, shut down the featherweight division when she shot Chris Cyborg. So the first one, I'm going to toss it to you. Did you expect the UFC to grow their featherweight division after almost two years without signing anybody new? I thought the women's featherweight division was all but dead, like more dead than, than the rumors of the men's flyweight division. Uh, you know, Nunes wasn't looking to defend right away after beating Cyborg. Cyborg was on, you know, social media a few weeks ago, hitting the speed bag, wearing one championship gloves. It, it didn't look good for the 145ers. I actually, maybe you know, and I just missed it. I still don't know what, where Chris Cyborg stands as far as the UFC goes. Uh, so, yeah, definitely did not expect them to expand. I thought they were just going to let it fizzle out and die unless Nunez uh, agreed to defend right away and her opponent was either Cyborg or someone else just as exciting. So um, to answer the Cyborg question, I'm going to hit you with this one. I think that Chris Cyborg might be in Eddie Alvarez territory, still a great fighter, still could handle business, still could throw down with the number one people in her division. However, she is closer to the end than the beginning. Does UFC feel like she is worth what you would call a max contract in uh, NBA or NFL? You know, maybe not. 
maybe they don't feel like they're going to get the return investment. For example, if you were going to give Anderson Silva a brand new contract today, it wouldn't be what you gave him eight years ago by any means. Chris Cyborg is in that weird spot that I think the one championship is kind of her saying, hey, free agency is going to treat me well. I'm a legend. How much do you honestly feel I'm worth today when we go to negotiating? I think that's what it is. I think she's aware of one championship. They would pay huge money for Chris. Hell, anyone would pay huge money for Chris. That makes it very interesting. And, you know, Chris Cyborg doesn't need UFC for her career as much as she did maybe a few years ago. I'll say that. So I think they're in that kind of limbo free agency. Now, in terms of the featherweight division, um, I felt like the writing was on the wall. I, like you said, even worse than the flyweights. They weren't signing anybody. All they had was bantamweights moving up, and I was like, why, why are they doing it? I've said it on this very show before, um, you know, last year and over the last several months. I feel like it's a sign that they think that as soon as Chris Cyborg leaves, they're closing the doors on it, so... Why open the wallet to bring in new women if you know you're going to just close this thing possibly in a year? I get that. The fact that they're doing this move, may, I think it's a great sign. Clearly it shows they believe in the development. And maybe they're saying, you know what? We're about to have more shows than ever. Maybe we don't need Cyborg. Let's see what happens with Amanda Nunes, Megan Anderson, Felicia. Let's see who we could bring in. And I think that's a great sign. I don't think it'll be stacked. I think just like men's flyweight right now and others, there's not going to be too many athletes overall. But it's a division, and if you build it, they will come. So I do think that's a positive sign. Yeah, uh, I, I'm on board there. I think, you know, as far as what, what, how that division is going to sort of look in a few months, um, it's still a little bit murky. I mean, Holly Holm outclassed Megan Anderson, but she's not even really in the division. I don't think, I don't know if she's in it officially, but she kind of just, you know, they just call her up when they need a big name. Yep. Um, so Megan Anderson, I guess she's the top of the class at 145, you know, below Nunez. I think the UFC is just building up the division so that they can have like a backup title fight for some of their upcoming pay-per-views, you know, worst case scenario. If something bigger falls out, at least they have a belt that they can put on their poster since that seems to be very important to them for pay-per-views. Um, and I think since Nunez isn't looking to fight at 145 anytime soon, at least that's, that was my last understanding of it, I'm feeling they're going to probably do an interim belt and maybe by the end of the summer. Uh, we'll see, but that's, that's just what, what I'm thinking. I mean, I can't think of anything else personally. I feel like it's just really one of those... Um I think it's just a business move. Like you said, they have more events. They need paper. They need championship fights. They look good on the poster and in the commercials. But, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's really the only sign that it could be. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of this, I think, it, like I said, it makes a lot of waves, and I think it's going to look good. So I'm excited for it. Obviously, there's no one announced just yet, but um, – I agree with you. I think that an interim title, if Amanda doesn't come back, is going to happen, or even possibly stripping her. She's like, you know what? I did my business. I don't really feel like I want to go up there anymore. I feel like this is my this is my jam right here at 135. So I think that could be another uh, you know possible outcome. 
which, you know, makes it very interesting because our next story is, you know, a very similar issue. PFL announces the women's lightweight roster for season two. So obviously everyone knows about Kayla Harrison, former two-time champion in judo, roommates with Ronda Rousey and all that, undefeated. She fought three, four times in 2018. So a lot of people saying, you know, rookie of the year kind of deal, which I think was awesome. But they've now announced they have added former Invicta Bantamweight champion Sarah Kaufman, Jenna Fabian, Bobby Joe Delzeal, Svetlana Kotova, Roberta Samad, Larissa Pacheco, and Morgan Freer. And um, something to be noted, some of these women have competed at lightweight and welterweight in the female divisions already, so it's not just all exclusively people moving up, although Fabian, Samad, Pacheco, and Freer, you know, um, they have, you know, fought at featherweight or lower in the past. So... This makes it very interesting because obviously we know Kayla Harrison is like the uncrowned champion. She's the breakout star. You can make the argument that she is more popular than anyone on the PFL roster despite not having won a championship for them last year. So what are your thoughts on the tournament and the field? Yeah, very interesting. I was Speaking of Chris Cyborg, I was really hoping the PFL would actually sign her even though, you know, it's probably too soon for Kayla to fight someone with Chris Cyborg's skill set. What did Kayla Harrison to... do to you, Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, she seems I like, like a, a nice girl. What, what did she do to you? Is it that blonde versus brunette hate? What the? Oh, you, man, what does she Olympic do to medals. you? Dang, that's it's sad. Olympic medals, man. I, I hate winners. Oh, oh <laughs> you must hate Seguro um, then, huh? No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Continue. No, no, man. No, it's fine. So, yeah, that would have been – everyone would have said, okay, that's too, that's too much for Kayla Harrison. However, I still thought it would have been awesome. It uh, would have been great for the tournament, great for PFL. Yep. So, de- definitely, Kayla Harrison is the darling of the PFL, well-deserved. She's charming, eloquent, super telegenic. Like, if you saw her on those interviews on SportsCenter when they were yep. announcing the, the deal with the ESPN, she was so good on that yep. uh, during that interview. I have to say, you know, but besides Sarah Kaufman, honestly, man, I don't recognize any of those fighters, and that's probably just me being such a noob. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really know who they are. So I almost started to like go down the path of, you know, this is going to be a lot of pressure for Kayla. All eyes on her. Expectations are going to be so high for her to win the whole thing. Um, but then I thought, well, I can't imagine a greater pressure than the Olympics. So mentally. You know, is she poised to, like, run through this division like it seems like the PFL wants her to do? Probably mentally, yes. Um, but, you know, we saw last season what everyone thought, you know, Ray Cooper the third was going to do in the welterweight division. Yeah. Uh, expectations were for him to just blow through the whole thing, come out with a million-dollar check. He almost did, but then he got mm-hmm. finished. So uh, bottom line here, I'm excited to see Kayla rise to the challenge, to turn through the weight class. You know that that the way this 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 tournament is basically right on her shoulders on her name. I also wouldn't mind seeing Sarah Kaufman come out with an upset victory at the end. Uh, but either way, um, all eyes are going to be on Kayla, and and maybe that's why they they didn't necessarily stack the division. It's also hard to find like you know very skilled 155ers. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, 145 I has an issue. I don't know. Imagine 155. Exactly. 
So, yeah. And Sarah Kaufman, she's going up. How much is she going to, you know, try to bulk up with muscle or just bulk up with, you know, with, with fat? And, and what is that going to do? Because Kayla Harrison is like all muscle. Like she's been training judo since she was a kid. Her physique is so different than most of these fighters. Yep. Um, so um, in some ways, yeah, it seems that she will burn through everybody, but you never know. Well, I mean, uh, look at what we just saw with Spence and Garcia on Saturday. Garcia is a fantastic fighter. You go up that many weight classes and, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. The punches just hurt a little too much for you to do anything about it. And to me, that's really the be-all, end-all with 155. Yes, anything could happen in MMA, and, you know, Saturday was great proof of that. Every night is great proof of that if you actually, you know, know and understand each and every fighter from the undercard to the top. But um, the, when I looked at it, I really feel like it's meant for Kayla to shine. The bigger athletes, those who have already fought, if I look at their record, they're only about, you know, they have less than five fights. Um, uh, I'm going to feel bad if I mess up which one it was, but I think it's Vetlana or Roberta. You know, they fought at a, even welterweight in the women or something like that. I saw listed on Tapology, but they're under five fights, so... The bigger athletes, you know, just the taller, you know, larger women, they don't have, you know, too much more experience professionally than Kayla. And you can also imagine, you know, are they with a team? Are they, you know, do they have all the resources that she has? That's on the one hand. Like I said, anything could happen. There's a reason. I mean, we saw with Christina Williams and Heather Hardy last year, a little before that, you know, that sometimes the numbers don't reflect everything. But that is a little stacking the deck, if you ask me. Secondly, the more experienced women like your Sarah Kaufman and all that, I mean, she's a woman who was, uh, she was fighting at Bantamweight. I mean, and you're yeah. talking about fighting a big athlete like Kayla Harrison. Um, I just don't see that going well unless she completely, you know, pulls something out because Kayla doesn't have to do much to hurt her and other things like that. She gets on top of her, it's going to be a wrap. I don't care how much experience Sarah Kaufman has. So when I look at it, I'm like, this is really meant for Kayla Harrison to shine. And once again, it is on her to perform the way she needs to and to show that she has gotten experience in the gym that we're just not seeing because her fights have gone the way they have. But that is what I really saw at the end of it is that the field really is meant for Kayla Harrison to shine. I'll say that at least from the looks of it on paper, they didn't bring in a woman who could really, you know, who's going to be the silver bullet to take her out. That's how it looks, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, good stuff. Don't get me wrong. I like watching them compete. I hope they try to bring it and, you know, David versus Goliath to take out Kayla Harrison if you're someone like Sarah Kaufman. So let's bring it. That's what makes these things fun. That's why they actually go through the fights. Yeah, I mean, and it's a, it's just a tough weight class to to fill for women, you know? Yeah. Um, she's like, Kayla Harrison is like a specimen at that, at that size where most women aren't as, um, uh, how do you say, um, not, they're just not as, um, I can't think of the word, I'm trying to blank, but, you know, she's firing on all cylinders. She's got that fast twitch muscle. Uh, they're just not as athletic. Um, at least uh, I mean, I I've say seen. this all the time, like, even when you see, like, Chris Cyborg, like, when I say large, and I hate referring to women with that uh, term, but that's easier than me saying, like, well, she's taller and 
broader shoulders. She just carries more mass. You know, that's just the way she's built. <laughs> like, uh, you know, LeBron James at 6'5", you know, he doesn't have any body fat on him, but let's be honest, he's just going to carry a lot more weight on him than me at 5'8", you know, 5'8 half. So that's just yeah. how it works. And it's the same thing for girls like Kayla and Chris. You're completely right. Physically, they are just, you know, as you know, as an individual, a larger individual who's going to carry more mass on them, you know, healthy, healthy-wise, you know what I mean? So you're right. It does make it a big challenge. Yeah, man, they're just straight-up bigger humans, uh, you know, uh, on the female side than most. And, and um, you lose a little bit of the, uh, the speed, the athleticism, yep. the, the, the things that are attractive about, like, you know, straw weight and atom weight for, for the women's divisions. You lose a little bit that, of that the higher up you go. The fight slows down a little bit. Um, and so there's less incentive, I think, for, for women of, of that size to go into professional, you know, mixed martial arts. It's just, there's just not as much exposure, not as much competition. So I'm, I'm happy that PFL is, is making this push. And I think I'm glad that Kayla Harrison is, she's like the perfect person to help build the bigger divisions for, for women's MMA. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it's just a really good one, and um, I think it's just going to be very interesting. I think it's on her now, and I think we get to see that. Yeah. Um, moving on, we obviously do have a fight night. We have Stephen Wonderboy Thompson taking on Anthony Pettis at UFC Nashville. This one, Striker's Paradise, is one that I, is a term I like to use for fights like these. But look, you got two great strikers. Only one can win. Natalie, what are your thoughts? Man, I feel for Anthony Pettis a little bit here. I feel like he's he's playing musical chairs with the weight classes, just hoping to find a chair he can sit on before the music stops. You know, on paper, the specialties of, of Wonder Boy and Pettis, they match up beautifully, karate, taekwondo, you know, you said Striker's Paradise, exactly. But the size differential is going to be the true factor on Saturday. I don't see how Anthony Pettis, I don't see him being able to push Wonder Boy around in the cage I think his only chance would be to come out with, like, a blitzing attack and catch Thompson off guard. You know, we're talking about, you're talking about Spence Garcia. This sort of feels like a similar scenario yep. where, you know, the smaller man who, as, however skilled he may be in his weight class, going up to, to someone that could be, that's comparable when you, when you add in the size differential, it's just, it's no longer comparable, right? The skills go out the window because now it's like, this guy's just way so, so much bigger that it's not going to matter. Part of me fears this could be a boring fight um, because both fighters are in a vulnerable, vulnerable place. Like coming off losses, I worry they could play it maybe a little bit safe. But then I think about how Pettis fought Ferguson. You know, he put it all out there. He tried to have fun. So maybe maybe look for him to push the pace with Wonder Boy, um, and Wonder Boy probably would lie in wait, sort of searching for a, a chance to hit Pettis with like some wicked counter. Uh, with the way welterweight is blowing up right now, I think Wonder Boy has more to lose with a loss to Pettis than Pettis does moving up to fight Wonder Boy. Yeah. Um, mostly, I hope it's a super exciting, yeah, Strikers Paradise. I hope that's what we get. I hope they just go after it, but. I don't know, man. There's so much. There's so much to lose. Like I said, especially for Wonder Boy. I just don't know how it's going to shake out. Well, I mean, I, um, you know, 
pulling back the curtain. I know that you are a big Wonder Boy fan. You're just a big fan of his game for good reason. Yeah. A lot of people love him, and I'm with you there. The thing about it is when you look at creativity, what they can do, obviously it's got the potential to be awesome. The size, in my opinion, is a really tough one. Anthony at 155 is kind of how I see T.J. Dillashaw at 135. He's powerful, athletic, lean, but look at his frame, look at his size, look at, you know, how he's built. He goes up to 170, you know, is he maybe carrying a little too much? Does he lose a lot of what makes him effective at 155? Cowboy Cerrone has admitted this himself, you know, it's not that he's bad, but when you see him taking shots from Matt Brown, he really gives so much in firepower at the elite level. And I worry it's the same thing for Anthony Pettis, like you said, that, you know, is, are his shots going to do the kind of damage to get the respect from Wonder Boy in a matchup? Now, uh, Wonder Boy, we know, uh, I think, you know, he couldn't make 155, you know, unless he started cutting off arms or something. So he's going to carry the power, in my opinion. I think he's going to keep it at a distance, use that karate stance, use the jab, use the sidekicks, uh, you know, stick and move, evade on the outside. Anthony does have the knowledge and the experience to counter, but I think that if you're talking about Anthony Pettis pulling off the win, you've got to chop away at the legs. You've got to be almost violent in your leg kicks. You really need mm-hmm. to start hampering his mobility. You've got to make him stand with you a little bit. You've got to just find a way to make Stephen Thompson a more stationary ta- target because, you know, as creative as Anthony can be, he doesn't go off the cage every shot. He doesn't try the <laughs> capoeira, whatever, every five seconds like, you know, some other guys will. That really is, you know, difficult because if Anthony is going to just try to, you know, trade one, two and a, you know, and a kick or, you know, uh, go to an uppercut, that favors Wonder Boy nine out of ten in my opinion. So I think that if Anthony is going to do it, he really has to start, you know, start from the bottom, work at the legs, and then to get in the face of Wonder Boy. I think that's the only way he wins a five-rounder with Wonder Boy, in my opinion. So, tough uh, challenge. I've got Wonder Boy winning. Uh, I think it's going to be a third, no, yeah, third-round TKO. I think he's going to break down Pettis slowly and then find the opening and close the show. What about you? Nice, TKO, okay. Um, I actually think it might go to the go to decision. I think it'll still be Wonder Boy, but I feel like, um, actually, what you said about Pettis' chance being, you know, his best chance being hurting Wonder Boy's legs. Now that I think about it, like that's a very real possibility. You know, Till did it to, to Wonder Boy, really neutralized him. Even I still think Wonder Boy won the fight, but with Till. Uh, so, so the, yeah, that is that is a weapon that Pettis should use. I think Wonder Boy is going to fight a little bit, a little bit tentative, even though he has it in him to do some cool stuff. I think he's going to line wait, try to counter, and that's why I think it'll go to decision. Um, yeah, that's where I sit. Still for Wonder Boy, though. No, I got you. And also, Anthony, his record doesn't show it, but he's been very resilient. He, like the Tony Ferguson fight, the Dustin Boyer fight, even though he came up short, he, <coughs> excuse me, he didn't go away in a lot of those. And I think that's what made it, you know, that's why the UFC keeps booking him into these spots and – um. Look, he's a gamer. I know people are like, well, he was the Wheaties guy, and he's not the same. 
he still goes out there to win. He doesn't. He's not just collecting paychecks out here. So I think that's something you got to respect. That you got to respect the fact that he's not going to go away quietly. He's going to be out there trying to make something happen. So I think, uh, like I said, I um, I know there's a lot of reasons to say this is uh, going to be the Wonder Boy show on Saturday, but. You can't ever count out a guy like Anthony Pettis, especially with someone who's going to stand and bang with him. So I think that that's going to make this fight very interesting. Obviously, it sets us up. We are getting closer to the double interim show in April, and obviously we're going to be talking all about, you know, how are we going to, you know, what are they going to do? How is it going to look? But next week is actually do-do-do-do-do trying to remember what card is coming up. Oh, this one's going to be awesome. Edson Barbosa, Justin Gaethje. Um, A lot of good fights on that card. The main event, though, that one guarantees fireworks. So we'll be talking about that, and it'll be a ton of fun. Natalie, thank you for helping carry me through today's show. I appreciate it, my friend. Where can the fans find you on social media? Hey, man, I hope you feel better. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, fans can find me at uh, my Twitter is uh, ZamudioRama5. That's my personal Twitter. Yep. Then uh, for my website, thestraightpunch.com, I have another Twitter, at StraightPuncher. That's Twitter and Instagram. But, uh, yeah, hit me up. I'll be there. And uh, Gabriel, man, rest up. Drink some hot tea. Eat some chicken soup. You'll be all right soon. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Fans, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back next week.